0: Hello everyone, and welcome to References, where we talk to the people behind the pedagogy. In this podcast, we will sit down with experts from the Vantage College programs who are pushing the boundaries in higher education. We will explore everything from innovative curriculum design, to interdisciplinary collaborations, to strategies for improving learning outcomes in any and all multilingual classrooms. My name is Jodie Martin and I'm a linguist and academic English lecturer at Vantage College and the host of References. If you're an instructor or if you have ever been a student, you probably have an opinion about multiple choice questions. Maybe you A, love them, B, hate them, C, all of the above, or D, none of the above. Today we'll be talking about a project at Vantage College Involving multiple choice questions. And I have two lecturers from that project
1: with me here today. I'm Jennifer Lightfoot, one of the academic English program instructors at Vantage.
2: And my name is Dr. Mark Lamb. I teach psychology here at UBC and I was involved in Vantage from the very beginning.
1: Thank you for joining me
0: today. What prompted you to look at the language of testing and multiple choice questions in the first place?
2: In my first year teaching here at Vantage, I taught both direct entry students and also at Vantage, I taught psychology to both. And what I noticed was that teaching the same content, using the same exam, the Vantage students asked more questions during the exam, struggled more during the exam, and then had poor grades after the exam. And so we asked them, we gave them feedback forms about the exam. And basically what their answer was, was that they were having difficulties um, understanding the questions during the exam. So Stephen Barnes and I were working with Brett Todd, who was an AEP instructor at Vantage, and his English course was paired with our psychology course. And so his course would basically help students understand the language of psychology. And so we would end up sending our midterm and our exams to Brett before we'd actually administer them in class. And so Brett would revise some of the questions. He'd look at the language and make suggestions on how to help students understand the questions, make the questions more accessible.
1: Yeah, and uh, I was working closely with Dr. Catherine Lyon, the sociology instructor. She was also noticing some of the same issues with her Vantage students, especially in comparison to the direct entry peers at UBC. And this is something that I actually quite like about this project, the fact that this idea came from teaching, noticing an issue and brainstorming different ways of helping students. One of the examples in your paper
0: is from psychology. Let me try and read it out clearly. The class of psychological disorders characterized by people being deprived of contact with portions of their consciousness that results in a disruption in their sense of identity is A, B, C,
2: D. And this clearly has lots of meaning for you. Right. And when I hear that, I'm like, what am I doing to my students? It's pretty complex, pretty dense.
0: And the unpacked version is, there are different classes of psychological disorders. In one class of psychological disorder, people lose contact with portions of their memory. This loss can disrupt their sense of identity. What is the name of this class of psychological disorders? Clear to you as a psychologist? Clear to us as linguists?
2: You probably notice the effect more hearing it because you can't even go back and, you know, reread it. It's much easier to follow uh, in those short snippets.
0: Why do professors write questions this complicated anyway? Are you trying to trick your students?
2: Not at all. I mean, lots of students perceive our questions to be tricky, but uh, we don't do it on purpose. It's just through our training, we've learned to be very concise, to use as few words as possible to convey the, the message we want. And so I think it's just a result of years and years of writing and trying to learn how to be concise that we end up with these densely packed sentences. Right.
1: So academic English is linguistically complex. It's actually what we want our students to achieve with their own writing as well. We want them to be able to pack ideas into dense noun groups in their own writing of academic papers. So we try to have them unpack academic readings from the beginning of the term just to help with that comprehension piece. But as the term progresses, we really want to focus on building more complex, dense, abstract noun groups in their writing to help them produce more academic papers. But in test scenarios, we hope that we can break down this linguistic complexity to focus more on the content of the test item.
0: One thing I notice as a linguist is just to make those simple changes actually brings about lots of other grammatical linguistic changes, everything from how you're starting the sentences to the number of clauses in a sentence and that sort of information. Mm -hmm. So it's a fantastic way of reducing the complexity, not just through the noun groups, but brings about other advantages.
1: So then it became difficult then to isolate these different linguistic variables. It's tricky to determine whether or not the noun group complexity or the infrequent vocabulary would be driving the effect, you know, or even cultural references, but um Yeah, all of this happens simultaneously through packing and unpacking.
0: Can you give us an example of a multiple-choice question that's first packed and then what that looks like unpacked?
1: Sure. One example from sociology was from a sociological perspective, one of the most significant factors that determines the number of children a woman bears is A, B, C, or D. And so we unpacked this question to certain factors in society can cause women to have more or fewer children. The average number of children women have is different in different societies. From a sociological perspective, which of the following factors has the strongest effect on the number of children women have?
0: One of the key changes there is changing number of children a woman bears to the number of children a woman has.
1: Right. And so this was an example of how infrequent vocabulary can sometimes be substituted for a much more frequently used and understood term.
0: These words that are only used in very isolated, specific contexts that students might not have encountered uh, can be really difficult not only for international students, coming from a different society, but also for all students coming to university. Absolutely. What brought this from something you need to do for your students to something that was worth investigating?
1: I think it's really interesting because previous research has shown that actually reducing linguistic complexity in test items is of great benefit to students, but we don't see this type of unpacking of test items in many assessments. So I think it is something that needs greater attention. Once you
0: identified that this was an area you wanted to pursue, how did you start the project?
2: I started chatting with Dr. Catherine Lyon from sociology, and we invited Daniel and Jen onto the team as the AEP instructors that would be revising the questions. Uh, so, we applied for a soddle seeds grant, and this is a grant that provides us, I think, with 80 hours of SODL s- seeds specialists' help. I took the lead on the SODL seeds grant that we applied for, but on the project was myself, Dr. Lyon from sociology, Jen and Daniel Riccardi, and then Simon Lolliet, who's another instructor in psychology. And then, of course, our soddle seeds specialist, Nathan Robertson, who's a statistician and a PhD student at the time, who
1: was amazingly helpful in helping us manage all of the moving parts within our project. We had a lot of data coming in because we had three midterms and one final per term. And we did this study over two terms with both Vantage students and Direct Entry students. So there was just, there was a lot of data and moving pieces, and he really helped us uh, put that together seamlessly. From
2: beginning to end, everything. Was, so yeah, he was such an immense help, and it made the project so much easier.
0: Accessing information from SOTL, or the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning, which is available through CTLT, the Center for Teaching and Learning Technology, is actually a really exciting opportunity if anyone is not aware of it. Jen, you and Daniel were approached with these complex multiple choice questions that you needed to make easier for ESL students. How did you do it?
1: That was one of the challenges that we faced, really, um, because Mark and Catherine originally came to us with these complex multiple choice questions and we thought, you know, where do, we, where do we start and what linguistic features do we really dive into to try and unpack these questions? And we sort of looked at them thinking, you know, where to start? And we ended up deciding on three main linguistic interventions. First, reducing nominal group complexity and also substituting for less common vocabulary and uh, making cultural references very explicit to students.
0: For the non-linguists out there, Uh, Can you explain what a nominal group is?
1: Of course. Typically, in written English, we tend to see more abstract representation of ideas through sophisticated noun groups. So, for example, in one of the sociology questions, we saw sociology discusses the many widespread cultural norms that we use to evaluate ourselves. So there we have the many widespread cultural norms that we use to evaluate ourselves as one noun group, one thing, one idea, and then this can then pose significant comprehension challenges to our English language students. Uh, so for example, we could unpack that noun group by saying, sociology discusses many norms, different norms develop in different cultures and can become widespread. We use these norms to evaluate ourselves. So this would be an example of how we unpacked a noun group. You mentioned substituting
0: infrequently used vocabulary with frequently used vocabulary. How did you determine what words are common, what words are rare?
1: When we were identifying the infrequent vocabulary, which just came from our expertise as language teachers, you start to notice what language is linguistically complex or infrequent, but we We ended up running the words through the Corpus of Contemporary American English just to make sure that the words that we were substituting were actually more frequent.
0: For those who aren't familiar with the Corpus of Contemporary American English, it's a huge collection of millions upon millions of uses of words that gives you really good quantitative data about how many words are used within the specialized field of academia. Uh, You said the third point was also considering the cultural knowledge. I love the example in the paper. Can you share that
1: with us? Oh, uh, the example in the paper I think is the slap of a beaver's tail is a symbol or a sign or, you know, A, A, B, C, or D in sociology. And uh, so we thought, you know, a a beaver is a quite Canadian animal. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, so we didn't know If our students coming from all around the world would really know what a beaver is or why they slap their tail or what they're doing when they're slapping their tail, like what is the purpose of this tail slapping? And so we we started to break that down for students. I do find that effort to try
0: and make it accessible and familiar and engaging for students involves these everyday examples which don't always consider an international multicultural student. I've had students bring to me uh, physics examples with baseball, which is fine for projectiles and trajectories if you know all the vocabulary of baseball.
1: Yeah, um, of course, you know, instructors don't do this to intentionally trick our international students, but it's it's used as a tactic to hook students' interests but sometimes those cultural references can just be lost on international students, so so yeah, we just want to be mindful of the cultural references that we're using. But it is worth noting that reducing noun group complexity and replacing inc- infrequent lo- vocabulary were by far the main strategies used.
0: Now, is this not dumbing down the content from your perspective? In psychology? I don't
2: think so. This was kind of a key focus was to make sure that the content was retained. So we would write our exams, we would send them to Jen and Daniel, and then they would send back their suggestions. And sometimes we'd say, no, 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 you have changed the content of the question. You can't do that with this. We have to revise it again. And so we were quite careful and explicit in kind of how questions could or could not be changed.
0: What sort of impact does an intervention in test questions like this have for the students?
1: Well, that's actually really interesting because it speaks to the overall goal of this type of program, right? We are trying to improve the English language ability of our students, but at the same time, these test questions in assessments shouldn't be over their heads. It shouldn't be overly complex. We should be testing content rather than linguistic ability.
2: I think it helps students feel less anxious during an exam. An exam situation is already anxiety provoking enough. So if you're able to understand the questions and know what am I being asked, what's being asked of me, that should reduce anxiety. And this comes back to what you said, that this is not about changing the content, but
0: just making the test question accessible. And what was the effect of this rewriting of the multiple choice question?
2: For the Vantage students, in comparison to the complex versions, students did, I think, 8% better. So it might seem like a small increase, but when you're talking to students, an 8% increase is actually quite a bit, right? You're moving probably a whole letter grade. Um, So it's a significant difference.
1: Yeah, and then Mark and Catherine and Simon also conducted this study with their direct entry students. And what's interesting is that we actually found that direct entry students can benefit from reducing linguistic complexity in test items as well, although not as much as our Vantage students. The likelihood of a Vantage student answering a question correctly was increased by 8% when a question was unpacked. And for direct entry peers, this likelihood is 6%. So not as high as our Vantage students, but still a significant improvement
0: how does working with multiple choice questions, which is an infrequent event to be fair, help students improve their academic English here at Vantage?
2: When we were working with Brett, uh, not only did he revise the questions, um, but he also designed a lesson in collaboration with Jennifer Walshmar, teaching students basically how to prepare for uh, multiple choice exams. Um, So in these lessons, um, they had students consider how they might write a multiple choice question. They also offered strategies uh, on how to read and uh, decode these questions, even if the questions were uh, lexically dense. Um, And so in essence, they basically designed their lesson to give students uh, the skills they needed to better read and understand questions, even if those questions were um, created in such a way by the profs that were dense and challenging.
0: And this is part of empowering the students really, isn't it, to give them access to the powerful language of a field and the disciplinary language of the field that they are learning. I do appreciate when you said that direct entry students improved but not as much, is that this is about overcoming the disadvantage that ESL international students are facing in coming to this university. Were there any changes that they made that surprised you or things that you learned about the language of psychology from this?
2: Nothing that really surprised me. And I wouldn't say that I learned anything about the language of psychology, but it definitely made me more aware of my question writing practices and to take a more uh, perspective of the student more. So just to think carefully about the reader, right? How would the reader perceive this? How would they be able to interpret this? Could I write this any clearer than I've written it already? Uh, So that's kind of what I took away from reading Jen and, Dan's unpacked sentences
1: which is nice because I mean that's essentially the goal <laughs> that was another one of the challenges of, of the <laughs> of the project as well we noticed that closer to the end of the term the exams started to have less and less complex <laughs> questions <laughs> but ultimately this is a good thing um, you know we want instructors to be able to do this on their own to reduce. Linguistic complexity in their own multiple choice questions. And this is something that we're actually looking into developing workshops for at UBC. We hope to have these workshops ready for sometime in uh, 2020. And these workshops will be aimed at disciplinary instructors and their TAs. So anyone who is working with any type of multiple choice question and sort of equipping you with the tools to unpack these linguistically dense questions. Well, that sounds fantastic.
0: For people who can't attend these workshops or who don't have linguist friends, which is a tragedy, what advice would you give to other faculty members about writing multiple choice questions that you've learned through this process?
2: I I mean, one simple thing you could do is just to pilot test the questions, right? To have your TAs read the questions over or if you know people who are you know, ESL students, you could have them read through, but you could just put on the lens of somebody who might be EAL. Think about cultural differences that there might be, or cultural references that you might be including. Think about the density, whether you could simplify the language or simplify the structure of the questions.
1: I think probably to have one idea per sentence. So if you can narrow... Your thoughts into just one idea per sentence that helps to break down the ideas in a complex question.
2: So, bite sized chunks, I guess.
0: Exactly. How can people find out more about your
1: project? Our paper was recently published in the Journal of English for Academic Purposes. It's called Investigating the Effects of Reducing Linguistic Complexity on EAL Student Comprehension in First-Year Undergraduate Assessments. I know it's quite a mouthful, but hopefully you find it interesting.
0: We'll put the DOI, at the very least, in the show notes so people can follow and get access to the article wherever and whenever they are. Should other faculty members who are interested in testing this out in their own
1: discipline get in contact with you?
2: Absolutely. You can reach me by email at mlam at psych.ubc.ca.
1: My email is jennifer.lightfoot, L-I-G-H-T-F-O-O-T, at ubc.ca.
0: Thank you both for coming in. It's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can find a link to the paper that Jen and Mark and their team have written, as well as new episodes of references at vantagecollege.ubc.ca. You can also subscribe to our podcasts on Apple or Google Podcasts and also through Spotify. Just search for references, the people behind the pedagogy. Feel free to give us a rating or review as it helps more people to discover our show. Do get in touch with Jen and Mark if you want to improve multiple choice questions in your exams. Contact details will be at the bottom of the show notes. You can also drop us a line if you want to connect to our team at Vantage College and have questions or feedback. My name is Jodie Martin and I can be reached at Jodie-Martin on Twitter. That's Jodie with an I-E. We will be back with a new episode soon. Thanks again for listening.